This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, today it's my great joy to welcome back again. He came last year, right about this time, about a year ago. Uh, he came last year and shared with us. We fell in love uh, and just his heart and his ministry. There's a kindred spirit. Uh, Bishop Walter Harvey is the president of the Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God. We're an Assemblies of God church. Uh, we have over 13,000 Assemblies of God churches here in America. And he is the president over the Black Fellowship. What a tremendous responsibility that he has stepped into this last year. A great heart for church planting among the inner cities around America. And we've just continued to have fellowship throughout the year and linking uh, together. I'll be in some of his activities and meetings in just a few weeks at our annual or biannual uh, general council. And so uh, this year was we were praying about Father's Day and bringing in a special uh, speaker. He was my first choice and I was so thankful that his schedule was open that he could be with us. And so today I want you to welcome Bishop Walter Harvey as he comes back to Christian Life Center today. Will you put your hands together? Bishop, so good to have you. God bless you, my friend. God bless you. Thank you. Hallelujah. What a friend we have in Jesus. Come on, can we just give Jesus a round of applause for being a faithful friend? Wow. My heart is so full this morning. I I want to wish happy Father's Day, of course, to all of you fathers. I myself am one. I've been a dad for 35 years. I have one son who's uh, just been a, a, a friend to me as well, as well as a son. I'm a grandfather. We have any grandparents out there as well? Amen. Grandparents, I'm telling you, being a grandparent is God's reward and blessing for you not taking your kids out. Yeah, just keep living and you all will understand what I'm talking about who don't have grandchildren yet. Pastor Tom, happy Father's Day to you, and also happy anniversary. I didn't know this was you and Candy's 10th year being leaders of Christian Life Center. And uh, I just affirm and uh, celebrate all that God has done in those 10 years, and I just speak and declare that the best is yet to come. Amen. On this Father's Day, there are spiritual children yet within your loins and within Pastor Candy's womb, within this greater community that are yet going to come and gather around the feet of Jesus because of your presence and because of your faithfulness and the positioning of this church. And the church is not a building, but it's people. So everywhere where you live, you work, you play, you pray, the anointing is upon you. Isaiah 61 declares that the spirit of the sovereign God is upon you. And I just speak that release over Christian Life Center today that the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. You know, fathers and men, we're important. We make a difference. Just one man can make a difference. Just one man. Yesterday, uh, just to, to give us a little bit of historical context, one man made a difference because in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. It wasn't until two years later in Galveston, Texas, that 
slavery ended for African Americans, blacks in this nation. One man can make a difference. What one man does can turn the course of history, can turn the course of an organization, can turn the course of a family for the good as well as for the bad. Dads, you make a difference. Dads are the difference. In, in the society in which we're living in today, uh, in which we have uh, affirmed uh, same-sex marriage, dads make the difference. Because you're not getting pregnant without a dad. <laughs> I know love, love is love, but you, dads make the difference. Dads determine the, the, the gender of the child. The chromosome that determines the gender of the child comes from dad. And research also shows us that dad makes a difference uh, in, in terms of the household. Just the presence of a father can, can really elevate the level of security, the level of stability. Uh, it can alter the course of behavior within that household. Come on, I'm, I'm a witness. I got the scars to prove it. My dad reminded me every day, son, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Dads make a difference. There was this animal uh, preserve in Africa years ago, and a story came out of it that uh, a lot of the young male elephants uh, were just wilding out. That's a term that their behavior was just reckless. They were killing, uh, you know, rhinoceroses and, and terrorizing the giraffes, and, and, and they were just going wild. And one of the uh, animal preserve specialists said, you know what they're missing? They're missing the presence of fathers. And so they brought in several adult male bull elephants. And the male presence just, just in the preserve brought a calming effect. All they had to do was just give a look to the young animals, the young elephants. What's up? And their behavior just calmed down. Dads, you make a difference. You know, my father has gone home to be with the Lord now 12, 13 years ago. And uh, my father was not always a believer. In fact, he grew up in a household where his mother died when he was five years old. He grew up in the South, in, in Southern Georgia. Mom died when he was five years old. And, you know, in the South, they had a lot of kids. And he was one of those stair steps. And his father, who was in agriculture, was in farming. Uh, he needed a wife. He needed a woman to take care of the children. And he married a woman who did not, who loved my grandfather, but did not love his children. And as a result, my father grew up in a, in a very unloving and an unnurturing environment. And it became, I, I realized uh, how my father became the man he was because it was so difficult for my father to tell his children he loved them for many years. I mean, for many years, we would, we would and my parents divorced when I was 10 years old, very crucial age for a young man, especially a young black man in America. And, and we would reach out to our father and we'd talk to him on the phone. He was living across town and we'd hang the phone up and say, Dad, I love you. And he would say the same. Dad, I love you. Same. It was so, he didn't know how to say it. But one day, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the fourth of four boys and then I have a younger sister. And one day my younger sister hung up the phone and told my dad, I love you, dad. And he said the same. And my sister called my mother and told my mother what my dad had been doing to us all of our lives. And she said, dad, mom, dad never affirmed me. He never tells me that he loves me. And I don't know what my mama told my daddy, 
But from that moment on, he was telling us he loved us first. And I'm going to tell you this, that made all the difference in my life. I still hold a, a just because card that my father sent me. I'm, you know, just because, not birthday, not holiday, not it just because. It's a just because card. It has a smiley face on the front of it. My dad gave this to me probably 20 years ago, but I, I have it in, in, in a plastic folder. And the card says, son, if you ever feel like somebody's talking about you, open up the card. It's just me bragging on you. Bragging on you. And then he signed it, Pops. I love you. Oh, I kept that. I got that card. I'm telling you, I'm keeping that card till the Lord calls me home. Fathers, Matthew 3.17 tells us that when Jesus was baptized, that the heavens opened up and the spirit descended in the form of a dove and rested on the shoulders of Jesus. And the father said, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. Fathers, our children need affection. Real men tell their children and their wives they love them. Our children need affirmation. This is my son. I affirm you. You belong to me. We, I love the worship song we just sang. I belong to you. And children also need our attention. That's why they're always saying, Dad, look at me. Watch me. Watch me. They want our attention and they want our admiration. And only fathers can give that. I thank God for my, my black father. You know, in this generation, and when people are protesting, black lives matter. Let me just say this, black fathers matter. <laughs> they make all the difference. And that's, that's a powerful statement because in 1960, the, the, the rate of single black female-headed households was 24%. Now that's 24% too many. But what we've seen happen in the late uh, 2000s, in 2018, is that that percentage has gone to 70% and in some communities even higher. Fathers, you are most important. Just one man can make a difference for the good or for the bad. Because in the book of Malachi, the Bible tells us that the sins of the fathers are visited to the children, to the third and the fourth generation. But I believe that we're in those days that Malachi prophesied in the days of Elijah that the, that the word of God says, I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Our sins are visited down upon our children, but blessings are as well. And what we see in scripture is that all the problems that we're dealing with in society today, they're the result of one father. That first Adam, that rascal, I tell you, man, sickness, sin, death, disease, racism, division was all because of one sin, one man's sin. Men, we all have our roots in Adam. Now, we're a work of God, but we're also a work in progress. And ladies, you don't have to say amen. We already know. We're a work in progress. Don't, don't start clapping and applauding. And Satan knows 
what God has designed for men and for fathers, and he doesn't want to see it manifested. That's why men, you are number one on Satan's hit list. We're number one. When, when I look at the scripture, when I look at the, at the call and the destiny that was upon Moses, and when his parents, his, his mother and father saw him at birth and looked at him and said, this child has the stamp of God upon his life. We're not going to follow Pharaoh's decree and throw him into the river. They hid him for nine months. Why? It's because Pharaoh, like Satan, wanted to kill the kid before the king could emerge in the child's life. Because when the king emerges, he's bringing the purpose and the plan of God to fruition. That's what we see happening in the life of Jesus. With Herod, he wanted to kill the kid before the king could ascend to the throne. I want to take you to a scripture, the first book of the Bible. For those of you who are new to scripture, just open it up to page one and turn right. Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, the message Bible, verse 15 says, God took the man and set him down in the garden of Eden to work the ground and to keep it in order. God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. Can I just exegete this text for a moment and just let men know that you are in an appointed place and in an appointed time? Your positioning as a father, your, your, your birth as a male, as a man, is not coincidental, it's not accidental. It is providential. You have been positioned in a place. God put Adam in the place. The word, gar the word Eden really means a delightful place. God designed Adam, breathed into him the breath of life, and then put him in position. He put him in a place called there. Men, wherever you are right now, that place is there. And God is there. You are on an assignment right where you are. Stop trying to flee your assignment. Don't leave the spot that God put you in. God set you up and placed you there in position. And in that place, there's provision. And in that place, there's power to produce and to bring the results that God intended for you to have. One of the tragedies that I often see, in, even in the Christian families in the Christian church and community is that I see so many men, so many fathers looking over the fence at the grass on the other side. And it looks greener. <laughs> it looks green until you get over there and you find out it's astroturf. It's not even real. No, God put you in position where you are. Cut your own grass, water your own grass, fertilize your own marriage, and it'll grow. You're in position. Another tragedy that I see is that so many men are out of position in their relationship with God. God put Adam in the garden, but God was there with him. If you're not in the place where you should be with God, reposition yourself. The word repent is, is a repositioning. It means to, to turn around. 
in a different direction, to change your mind. And, and if you're not in this place spiritually where you should be with God, today is a great day to get in position. We need men to be in the right position with God. It, it's almost, I don't know if you've ever had a, a, a bone out of socket. I, I used to play a lot of basketball when I was younger, and, and, and this finger right here is a little bit crooked. Why? It's because one day, I don't know how it happened, but playing basketball, the next thing I noticed that this finger was pointing this way. <laughs> and I was, I was, you know, immune to pain. I guess I was in a, on that runner's high, and I just pulled it, popped it back in, and just kept on playing. I put it back in alignment. That's what God wants to do to men today. He wants to just pop you back in alignment and put you back in the game. God put the man in the Garden of Eden. And secondly, as I exegete this text, God gave fathers, he gave men a work to do. God put man, put Adam in the garden and gave him a work to do. He gave him an assignment to take care of the garden. Men, you have a responsibility. You have freedom because we're made in the image of God. He made us with free will. We have free choice. But with freedom, freedom is never free. Freedom always comes with responsibility. Responsibility means that you are responsible. Responsibility, responsible. That means that whatever the situation is, I'm able to respond to it. <laughs> if the burglar comes to my door at two o'clock in the morning, I'm not gonna say, hey baby, wake up. There's, there's a sound outside. No, I'm able to handle the situation. I'm responsible. It's time for men to take ownership and to be responsible. God made us that way. In, in, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about, about three workers and, he, and, and the owner gave the workers different talents. Talents are not, you know, juggling or, you know, riding a, a unicycle. No, talents were money. And he gave one one talent, he gave another two talents, he gave another five talents, but he gave the talents according to each one's ability to handle it. God knows what your level of responsibility is. And he gave them free will to do it whatever they wanted to. So the one who had the five talents, he worked and he invested it and he multiplied it to 10. The one who had two, he worked and invested it and multiplied it to two to five. The one who had the one made the choice that I'm going to bury it. I'm not going to do anything with it. And God held him accountable. God placed you right where you are, man, and he gave you a work to do. And, and God giving us a work means that he's a supervisor. And every good supervisor comes with encouragement to their workers. They come and give them the resources that they need to do the work. They not only give them resources, but they give them correction when they need it. And God being the good supervisor that he is, he came along to Adam and said, Adam, I'm going to hold you accountable for the work that you're doing. Men, you have an accountability to God. We also have an accountability to each other. I'll deal with that in a moment. But our first accountability is to God. And we don't want to be like Adam, that with our responsibility, we neglect it and we drop it. And then when the consequences happen, so many men play the blame game. 
They don't take responsibility. They said, uh, Lord, you remember the woman that you gave me? Now, first of all, I was asleep. I never asked for her. I didn't, I didn't put in an order for her. It was your idea. No, don't play the blame game. Don't run from your responsibility. I think that so many men play that blame game because it's, it's really a matter of maturity. It's about the age and the stage that, that so many men are in. Some men are really boys. They say the difference between men and boys is the price of the toys, right? <laughs> Come on, guys. We're, we're, just, we're just big boys. Ladies, can I just be real with you? We're just, we're just big boys. We like toys. We like to play. Come here, girl. Come here. Come here. Right? Chasing her around the house. We're... We're still boys. But some men have not matured emotionally. They play that blame game. Edwin Lewis Cole, a great uh, Christian um, male author and leader, said that maleness, maleness is a matter of birth. But being a man and being a father is a matter of choice. Adam played the blame game. He blamed Eve. God then went to Eve and Eve claimed the blame game and she blamed the serpent. God dealt with the serpent, but he also held Adam responsible. And in Adam, in that one man, we all die. Men, you are responsible. You are responsible. God gave you a work to do. He put you in an appointed place. He knows what you are capable of doing. He expects positive results. He gives you the resources that you need. He gives you encouragement. He gives you his presence. But then God also gave men a will to obey. In verse 16 of this text in Genesis 2, God commanded the man. You, can't, you can eat from any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave him a will to obey. Now, one of the names of Adam in the genealogies of the Gospels in Matthew is that Adam is called the son of God. Adam was a son. And you know, one of the signs that, that you really have a good son is that you can give your sons a will to obey. You can give them a command. You can charge them. You can correct them. You can even cut them. I'm not talking about literally. I'm talking about sometimes you, you cut people with your words. You correct them. And, and when they receive that correction, that's a sign of sonship. That's a sign that they're in the family with you. We need to be careful as men not to place our will above God's will. When God gives us a command, we've got to obey. We've got to submit. And what we see happening in, the, in our society today, especially in the Western world and in America, is that men want to make themselves God. We want to exalt our will and our way above God's will and God's way. And so in Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul talks about people who are professing to be wise, they became fools because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him. They exalted their will and their way above God. And so God said, you know what? I'm just going to give you over to yourself. And what we end up with are dead men walking. Men who are simply just existing, not thriving. 
and a man left to himself will destroy himself and everybody underneath and around him. In our text in Genesis 2 and 18, God also gave men a woman to love. Can I just get, have a praise break for a moment? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God gave man a woman to love. Oh, God, you just, you just outdid yourself when you made women. Sometimes, sometimes women say God made man because he was just practicing, but, you know, when he made us. Go ahead, girl. You know, y'all know you're bad. You know you're bad. You know you're bad. I know it's Father's Day, but I thank you, Lord, for making women. Verse 18 says, God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. See, that's responsibility. That's a work. Whatever the man called each living creature, that's, that was its name. The man named the cattle. He named the birds of the air. He named the wild animals, but he didn't find a suitable companion. God put the man into a deep sleep. He slept. He removed one of his ribs and replaced it with his flesh. God then used the rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. And the man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman. For she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Sometimes women and men get caught up on that word helper. Helper. Because in our Western society, in our Western context, helper means assistant. It means like, you know, I'm the chief and you're the helper, right? That's not really the context of scripture. I wanna, I wanna just bring us into revelation and understanding that this is not a secondary class or category. Male and female are created equal in the image of God, right? Genesis 1.26. Eve was the mother of all living, and she is called to be a helper. The, the Hebrew word for helper is the word ezer. And it's not an inferior second-class world, world, word. It's also, also a word that means a deliverer. Women, you are called to be deliverers. You are called to be the perfect companion, comparable, not in competition, but in completion of the male man. You are the womb man. He's the male man, but you are the man that has a womb. You are incubators. You are incubators. Whatever you receive, an incubator multiplies, right? If, if, if you give a woman a bag of groceries, Come back in 25 minutes and you got some jollof rice and some steamed chicken and you got, you got some greens. Whatever you give her, she's going to incubate it and multiply. You give her a seed of your sperm. Come back in nine months and you got a baby that looks just like you. You give her a house, 
Give her a couple of weeks, she's going to turn it into a home. Right? You give her just a few sentences. And she's going to turn it into a book. Because women, y'all got some words. You ask her brother how he's doing, how was his day? It was fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Right? You give her some words, she's going to give you a paragraph. You give her just a little bit of grief, she's going to give you a whole lot of... You fill in the blank. Women are incubators. They're deliverers. Rahab the prostitute was a deliverer for the spies that Joshua sent out to Jericho. Abigail wisely saves her household and helps David preserve his character from bloodshed. The, the daughters of Zelophehad received their father's inheritance and influence by changing the laws that honored women to receive an inheritance. Ruth, the grandmother of David. Deborah, the prophetess, was a military strategist, a wife and a judge. Huldah was a prophet. Joanna, Sousa, and Mary Magdalene had it going on because they, they knew their money was on a mission and they saw Jesus as good soil to invest it in. Martha and Mary and other women used their material means to support the work of Jesus. Ma Mary Magdalene was the first woman that Jesus called to report the good news of his resurrection. She was an evangelist. Lydia was a businesswoman who financed the church in Philippi. Priscilla and Aquila her husband. Priscilla is mentioned first in scripture, which means prominence and priority. They had a church in their home. Phoebe was a deaconess. Junia was an apostle. And I know it's Father's Day, but we just got to give it up for the women. They are not second-class citizens. They are called to be deliverers. God took a rib and made a woman. Somebody said that the, the woman was taken from the rib, which is close to the man's heart. Wasn't taken from a bone in his head to dominate and lord over the man. Wasn't taken from a bone in his foot for him to walk on. He was she was taken from a place close to his heart for him to cover her and to speak over her. And that's what Adam does. He names the woman. He calls her womb man. He tells her what her purpose and her prophetic destiny is all about. Who this is some good word this morning. Women, you are not second class. You are also in scripture called to be a crown for your husband. Proverbs 12 and 14 says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. When your husband walks out the door, that brother's wearing a crown, but there's some brothers who are bald head. They ain't wearing a crown. Because the scripture says, she who causes Shame is like rottenness in his bones. Women, you are called to be kingmakers. Yeah, you put a crown on that brother's head. When my wife and I got married, I would overhear her talking on the phone. She, I heard her one day say to one of her girlfriends, she said, girl, I got me a BMW. And a girlfriend said, what, what, you got a BMW? You got a new car? She said, no, girl, I got me a black man working. <laughs> brother with a job. That brother has a job. Sisters, if you got a BMW, you need to thank God. If you got an AWB, 
a, a white man balling, you need to give God some praise. If you got a CBB, a Caribbean brother balling, or a Hispanic brother working, you just need to go say, hey, Poppy, just, just show me what you're working with. Keep it up, baby. God gave Adam a woman to love, a work to do, but notice that Adam had a job before he had a wife. Hey, yeah. No romance without responsibility, baby. You can't get the fruit until I see some faithfulness. You can't taste this milk until you buy the farm. Notice I didn't say the cow. Come on, women, you're more than a cow. You the whole farm, baby. Brother can't get a drop of milk. I need to see your credit report. I need to see two pay stubs, current pay stubs, not from three years ago. I need to see that you work in. <laughs> Whoo. Brothers, God is calling us out of hiding today. He's calling us to reposition ourselves in the place. And in Genesis 3, when the serpent came, more cunning than, than any beast of the field, and, and, and deceived Eve, and Adam willingly made a choice to abdicate his responsibility and to please his wife and, and to do the will of the serpent and, and to do his own will so that he would become like God. God came with accountability for the man. God's not out to get you. He's not out to destroy you. He's out to restore you. He came calling, Adam, where are you? And God never asks a question because he lacks the information. He asks the questions in scripture because he wants to give us revelation that we are not in position. Moses, what do you have in your hand? God could see it was a staff, but he wanted Moses to get the revelation that Moses, I positioned you with my power to go before Pharaoh. Adam, where are you? I know you're hiding over in the fig leaves. I know you've covered yourself with something that's man-made, but that's not what I've called you to be. I've come to restore you. God is calling us men today to reconnect us, to reposition us to his will. And can I just share this with you? One, one final point is that men, that we are called to win in life, but we never win on our own. There are so many brothers that are dying solo, not flying solo, but dying solo. They are public successes and private failures. They're not in the place spiritually where they should be with God. They're not properly loving the woman that God gave them. And men, we are at our best when we are in a band of brothers. God called you to be in community. He created us to live in community. And that's why I'm so glad that there's a brotherhood at Christian Life Center. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or one of the campuses or online, you need to get connected with a band of brothers who are all shooting in the same direction as you. And listen, we don't, we don't practice friendly fire. We don't shoot our own. We don't shoot our wounded. 
Galatians tells us those who are spiritual restore a fallen brother in a spirit of meekness. We lift that brother up. We gather around him until he's able to stand on his own and send him back out into the battle. That's the way Jesus lived. He called 12 men to be his disciples, to do life with him. And if you're in the, if you're in the battle all by yourself, Satan is calling you lamb chops. He's the wolf. And he sees you as a stray lamb away from your shepherd and away from the flock. It's time to get connected in a band of brothers. Today is Father's Day. We celebrate you, men. Celebrate your day, but you got some work to do tomorrow. You got a woman to love. You got a will to obey. You got a God to be accountable to. And there's a band of brothers that are pulling in the same direction as you are. I'd like everyone to just bow your head for a moment. I want to I ask men, would you stand right where you are? Those of you that are online, if you're able to just lift your hand as a, as a sign that you are coming out of hiding today. Men, you're standing today. You're not hiding anymore. You're not in obscurity. God sees you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And just like on the baptism of Jesus, he says, you are my beloved sons. I love you. I I give you affection. I affirm you. You belong to me. You're not an accident. You may have never had a father to, to affirm you, but God affirms you. 66 books tells me that he affirms you. The old rugged cross tells me that he affirms you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. You are my beloved sons in whom I am well pleased. I admire you. I'm proud of you. If you ever feel like somebody's talking about you, it's me, God. If I had a refrigerator, I'd put your picture on it, God says. I see what you're doing. I'm watching you. And I want to restore you. Men, just lift your hands as a sign of your surrender. Saying, God, I'm coming out of hiding. I'm taking off my fig leaves and I want to be covered with your glory. I want to be covered with the relationship that Jesus Christ came to give me. Father, I thank you for the men that are taking a step of faith, of repositioning, of repenting, of drawing back to you right now. I thank you for the fathers. I thank you for the fathers-to-be. I thank you for every man of, of every stage, of every age. And we say today, Lord, here am I. Restore me, forgive me, reposition me, and reconnect me. Connect me with a band of brothers so that I'm not alone. Lord, I know that I'm not what I used to be, and I thank you for that. And I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but God, I'm on my way. I'm a work in progress. Now, the work that you started in me, I thank you that you're faithful to complete it, even to the day of Christ. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? 
you can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.